tonight, I want to talk about being intentional. Being intentional where God has us. And this year, it's, it's a flying by as every year does. We wake up and it's, it's like the beginning of 2019 and now we're already a month into it. It just makes you realize like we have to be engaged in life. Otherwise, you're going to wake up and it's going to be six months later or a year later or two years later, 10 years later. And you'll be like, man, I wish I, I, wish I could have gone back and done that. And so one of the things I'm trying to be more intentional about this year is I'm decided to read the Bible from cover to cover. And I've never done that. I've never just started in Genesis 1 and just read all the way through to the end. Um, I've, I've read the Bible before, but I always kind of bounced around. I just, you know, I'd read Psalms and then I'd jump to, you know, 1 Timothy and then back to Genesis and, you know, kind of read that way. But this time I've just been intentional. It's been amazing. And it's just, it's changed my, my vision, my focus of like the, the story of Scripture. And so like before I'd like, like super focus on this one passage and like kind of break down all the little minutia of it. And it's like, I'm really zooming in on this one little piece of the story. But reading it the way I am over the last couple of weeks, it's like I'm seeing the entire picture. And last week I was in Joshua. And so I worked through Genesis and, you know, Exodus, Leviticus, on the way up to Joshua. And the thing that changed for me this time reading Joshua was I realized how much excitement and tension is in that book. And the reason it is, is because you're reading through the story and you realize like, this is the culmination of all these promises of God that he's made. And so we've had Genesis, we have the beginning, we've had all these, we've had these amazing moments, these climaxes, these, you know, the Garden of Eden, and then we have failures, Adam and Eve sin, then we have Noah and the reset, and there's this new hope and new excitement, and then we mess up again. And then God engages this one man, Abram, and he says to him, I choose you, I choose your family, you'll be my inheritance, and through you, I'm going to bless the entire world. And not only that, I'm going to give you this land, and it's going to be the, your descendants' land forever. And there's all this, this excitement, these promises that God's made, and then his children and his grandchildren and on and on end up, find themselves in Egypt. They find themselves enslaved. And then this God that most of them probably had no idea who he was because they, you know, they'd been in Egypt and they probably worshiped Egypt's gods and they were slaves and they're all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, the God of their forefather shows up through this man named Moses, who for them probably they thought of as this sellout. This guy, he's, he's in Pharaoh's court. He's like royalty and we don't want anything to do with him. And then when he tried to help us out, we, we yelled at him and he ran away. And then boom, he shows up again and he's empowered by God. And then God's doing these amazing things. And he's, he's literally going to war with all these gods that we thought were real in Egypt. And he saves us from the hand of Pharaoh. And all this stuff has been building and you find yourself in Joshua. And Joshua has just been made the leader of the people of Israel. And he's standing by this river, the whole of Israel standing there. And they're looking across the river and they're looking at the promised land. And they see all the promises that God's made is right there. There's all this tension, this excitement. But there's also this probably anxiety a little bit because they don't know what God's going to do. 
They don't know how this is going to play out. And most of them that are about to cross this river, they're the next generation. All the people who had seen God do all this stuff in Egypt and seen the Red Sea part and seen God systematically dismantle the gods of Egypt, they've all passed away. And so they've probably grown up hearing about this stuff. They've, they've heard their parents talk about it, but most of them haven't seen it with their own eyes. So they have this moment, and Joshua says, we're going to cross we're going to cross this river. We're going to cross into our promise. And the priests pick up the Ark of the Covenant. They set foot into the Jordan River, and the waters begin to stop. And these priests are standing now on dry ground, and the Israelites begin to cross. And now they're literally walking into their promise. And they're walking in it in a miraculous way because God is making a way. And now they're, being, they're getting to live their own Red Sea moment. They're seeing the waters part. They're seeing this miraculous moment. And then they, after that, they, they march to Jericho, this fortified city. And they don't know what's going to happen, probably expecting a battle. And then God says, just watch what I'm going to do. And he has them walk around the walk around the city once for six days, and then on the seventh day, he has them walk seven times. You know the story. Then they blow the trumpets, and they yell. The walls fall, and they take the city. And they're just like probably thinking, this was easy. This is amazing. Like God is doing this stuff for us. We're walking in the promises. This is going to be a cakewalk. We're, gonna get, we're just going to, God's doing everything. This is amazing. But then it shifts, and immediately after Jericho, they have this battle, and they lose. And if I was there, I'm sure my first thought would be like, what's going on? Like, we've been, Joshua's been talking, before that Moses was talking and assuring us that God had made this promise and we've been, maybe even heard from our families in the past about this promise that this is our land, that God was going to give it to us forever. He even told us before we entered that he was going to drive the people out. And right out of the gate, battle number two, we lose. We're 50-50. And then the book goes on and it's this weird contrast of victory but then this subtle language of like, and yet they didn't fully drive out the people, meaning the land wasn't fully theirs yet. And I just found myself like thinking about that tension, this reality that we find ourselves in all the time, right? We, we've, most of us who have been walking with the Lord feel that God has promises for us. Maybe they're individual, that you've, maybe in your time with prayer, maybe in your time with reading the Bible, you feel like God's told you this thing. Or maybe it's just the promises that are made to all of us that we find in scriptures. And you're like, I'm waiting for these things. And yet, the reality in your perspective seems like it's so much less than this other promise. And it reminds me of when, when I was younger, I'd get in these arguments all the time. Not, I don't know, arguments is a strong word, discussions with people. And it, was, it just reminds me of this discussion. I'm sure you've heard about it. When I was little, it was predestination versus free will. And now, you would never think that things would cause so much heated arguments between people. And you'd have people like, no, 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 it's predestination. 
And then the other people are like, no, I have free will. I can choose what I want. And they're arguing and they're yelling back and forth. And you just kind of find yourself in the middle like, what? What is this about? And then it changed. The language changed from predestination and free will, at least in my circles, to then it was Calvinism and Arminianism. And people have this kind of stuff. And then now it's reformed and not reformed. And you have these people, and there's these arguments that are going on, and people get so heated, and we get so, you know, in these fights, and it's just, it's, people have been arguing about this for a thousand years. Thousands of years, people have been trying to understand this. And the reason I bring this up is not because I'm going to give you the answer to that argument, because I don't have it. But the reason I'm bringing it up right now is because I want to give you a warning. And that is, is that what we're going to talk about tonight touches that issue. And it becomes such a weighted and clouded issue for people. It can become a stumbling block to hearing what God actually wants to say tonight. And so I don't know where in the spectrum you are, like philosophically, theologically, ontologically, which are all these big, fancy words for your position, what you think about it. I don't know where you stand on that. You may be hyper-reformed, and if you are, fantastic. That's great. You may be, I don't care, and that's great too. Most of us in this room are probably the, I don't care. And then there's people that are like, no, it's all about free will. What I'm saying is, is let's take those things and set them to the side because you can get lost in that issue and miss the point, okay? Because what I want to talk about tonight doesn't have to do with sovereignty versus free will. What I want to talk about is that when I read the Bible, because I can't come up with, I can't think of an answer to the difference, because what I see is I see both represented in Scripture. And to me, if the Bible is fine with the tension between the two and makes no effort to try to differentiate, it's just okay with both, that's kind of where I want to be doesn't mean that I don't read about it and think about it, but that tension, I think the Bible lives in that tension. And I think that you see that with Joshua too. You see that with the Israelites. You see that God made this promise, and God's promises will be fulfilled. And yet, we see along the way things falling short. So I want to talk about that tension, where we find ourselves, because I think the reality is, is what you believe about that tension will determine how you live right now. So I want to look into um, the passage of, in Mark. It's Mark chapter 10. Um, and I, what I think, what, as you're turning there, it's also going to be on the screen in a moment, is I love this passage for many reasons. Um, it's not a particularly um, happy ending of a story, but what I think it does is I think it cuts right through the middle of this tension of God's sovereignty, our free will, and what does that mean for us today? So Mark chapter 10, verses 17, starts like this. Is, this is talking about Jesus, and it says this. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, for, I want to pause just a moment because <clears throat> I, the Bible is funny because I'll read all these passages. You know, you read about these characters and people, and basically everyone in the Bible 
I can put myself in their shoes and I can walk and I can think about what they're thinking about and I can like understand where they're coming from. I can understand why they've responded the way they did or why they said the thing that they said or why they thought the thing that they thought, whether it's David or Peter, you know, or, or John the Baptist, Daniel, or even the wicked people, like the bad people. I can even understand where they're coming from, whether it's Haman or Herod or all these people that we kind of put in the, the villain category when they're really just people. But I can put myself in their shoes. I can understand where they're coming from. But there's only two people Two characters in the Bible that I'll read about, and sometimes they say stuff, and you're like, I, what are you talking about? And that's God the Father and Jesus. And sometimes when they're talking, you just find yourself like, what did he, why did he say that? What does that mean? And you, you don't even understand where it's coming from. And it doesn't bother me. What it actually does is it comforts me because it would be concerning to me if I was reading the words of God and there wasn't something that felt beyond me or something that I didn't understand. If it was something that where Jesus responded every way, every time, the way I would respond, and I'm like, I totally get that. That's exactly what I would have done, Jesus. Then I would have concerns of whether Jesus was actually God or not. It sounds like a man talking, right? But Jesus and the Father, sometimes they respond not like human beings would respond, not like the people we normally respond. And this is one of those moments, it's like, you would think like, yeah, he responded the right way. He called Jesus good. Jesus is God. Therefore, Jesus is good. So what's the problem here, Jesus? And yet Jesus is like, why are you calling me good? And you're like, this is such a Jesus thing to say right now, right? But I love that. I love that like sometimes I'm just bewildered by what God says or what Jesus says in certain moments. And I don't even understand it. And I'll go ask God. And sometimes he tells me and sometimes he doesn't because God's ways are higher than our ways. But we're going to keep going. Jesus responds, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. There's a few things I want to kind of highlight from this. The first thing is this, this story is in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they're called the synoptic gospels because, which synoptic means same or similar. And it's, they're, they're the three of the gospels that most closely relate to each other. And it's represented in all three of them with little changes, little nuances that are different. But I chose Mark for this reason. is because Mark is the only one that retains the part of the story 
where it says, and Jesus looked at him and loved him. I think that that's so crucial for us to catch. Because you remember, you know how like sometimes you'll send a text message or an email or post on social media and your friend totally misinterprets what you say and they get mad at you or they think that you are taking a shot at them and you really had not that intention at all. You had good intentions. And it's because we have this, this like barrier face-to-face. We didn't, we're not able to see each other, and so there's this miscommunication. Sometimes I think that we do that with Scripture, too. And we should know that everything Jesus does, he does out of love. But I think with that missing from the story, we can impose on the story our own views, and we'll bring in all this baggage into the story where we might find ourselves thinking that, well, Jesus is selling, telling him to sell all his possessions because, well, he has to earn it. He has to earn the right to follow Jesus. Or that, you know, he has to beg and do this hard thing for Jesus to notice him. And we kind of bring all this baggage that we bring to the table that's not present in the text and that's not Jesus' character. And we, we make it more about us. And yet, to me, when it says this, that Jesus loved him, that colors this whole moment. Because Jesus isn't asking him to give away his possessions because this man, that wealth is evil, or that this man needed to do something in order to earn the right to follow Jesus. He's doing this because he loves him. And for some reason, this wealth for this individual man would have kept this man from walking and following Jesus and being in relationship with him. And so out of love... Jesus says, go, give away all this, your stuff, and come and follow me. And he does it out of love. And so if you find yourself, that's my encouragement to you, if you find yourself in a situation where God is asking you something that seems incredibly difficult, super sacrificial, and you find yourself, and then maybe your flesh is coming to you, or the devil, or whoever is coming to you, and they're whispering to you and talking about, oh, well, you know, God's, you know, you have to do this. God's not going to care about you. God's not going to love you. Or this feeling of like, well, I got to do more and I got to pray more. And, I, you know, I'm not praying enough and, and all this stuff. Just to get God to come into your presence and grace you with his presence, that is not the truth. When God asks you to do something, he does it because he loves you. And you will be better for it if you can do it. You just say yes. This man's life would have been radically different if he could have just said yes in that moment, but we get blinded, and we we bring our baggage to the table, but Jesus is good. The next thing I want to talk about is that nothing could stop Jesus. This is the thing is Jesus is right in the middle of his ministry right now. Jesus is right in the middle of all these promises, just like Joshua's you know, when Jesus, Joshua is walking through the Jordan River and all the Israelites are following him, they're literally walking into the middle of their promise that God had made to Abraham. And right now, Jesus walking in the earth, he's literally walking in the middle of all these promises that were made. That a savior would come. That he would be born of a virgin. That the king would return. That the Messiah would arrive. The one who would crush the serpent's head. All these promises that have been coming from the very beginning of the Bible, all of this is coming and climaxing to this moment where Jesus is in the flesh, here on the earth, God made into man. And the thing is, is these promises, they were inalterable. They could not be stopped. Jesus was always going to come, 
could not be stopped from coming. Nothing would stop it. Nothing. He was going to the cross. He would be resurrected. Nothing could stop that. That was assured. Nothing could stop Jesus in that moment. That had nothing to do with you and me. It doesn't matter whether Peter, James, and John had said yes or no. Nothing was going to stop Jesus from the mission that God put him on this earth for. Nothing could have stopped it. And so in this spectrum, we were talking about this tension between God's sovereignty and our free will. Jesus being here and the mission that he was on, that is definitely in the unstoppable, nothing could change it category. And that's what's going on right now. Jesus is living in that moment. But the thing that's interesting about it is, is that just because this thing was... Jesus' role, what Jesus would accomplish, why Jesus was here, was unchangeable, doesn't mean that I think everything that happened around Jesus was set in stone. The thing is, is Jesus invites this man to follow him. And he uses that specific language. He says, come and follow me. There's only a few other people in the Gospels that Jesus uses that language with. And that was with the disciples when he engages Peter and James, Andrew and John, Matthew as the tax collector. He goes to each of them and he says, come, follow me. What's amazing is I think, that's an, I think Jesus is intentional in that moment. I think that was a real invitation. He used the same language. He invited this man to follow him. What that means, I don't know. Does that mean that he would have been the 13th disciple? Maybe. Would he have been one of the hundred other guys and girls who were following him around? Possibly. But what I know is that Jesus intentionally asked this man to come and follow him. This unstoppable Jesus, whose mission was foretold and promised by God that would be accomplished and nothing could stop it, and yet this guy said no. How would his life have been different? Now, this man may have found Jesus later. Maybe after Jesus' resurrection, he paused and reflected on his life again and realized, I need to follow Jesus, possibly. We don't know. We don't know the end of his story. But we know in this moment, right now, he said no. How would his life have been different? What books... What epistles might he have written? What people would he have gone to and shared the gospel with? Now, I'm not saying that those people that he would have gone to wouldn't have been, you know, didn't hear the message, because I think God sent someone else. But what is true is this, this man was not in the story. His, as far as we know, his part in the story ended at this moment. Because he said no. Because the tr- here is the truth. God's unalterable will will be done. But your free will can determine your part in that story. I'll say that again. God's unalterable will will be done. It cannot be stopped but your free will can determine what part you play in that story. Because you see, guys, there's things that, just like Joshua, 
crossing the Jordan, and they're walking into the promise. The thing is, is that God then split up the land, land of Canaan, to the different tribes. The, you know, the people of Israel were split up into 12 people groups called tribes, and then God gave them individual pieces of land. And then after the overall conquest of Canaan, Joshua sent and said to them, hey, now go to your land and finish the job, essentially. And most of them didn't. And so they, out of their own choice, even though God had given them the land, and, I, and I'm not saying that that promise failed. I'm saying I think that that promise, God's promises will be accomplished. It's just either moved or delayed, or maybe you don't get to take part in it. But the thing is, is that was the promise. Is Jesus, I mean, Joshua was given a promise, and all of the Israelites were by God, that the, the promised land was theirs. And the thing is, guys, is there's promises today that God has for us. And these promises are promises that God is going to accomplish. They are unalterable. They will accomplish. The mission of the church will be fulfilled. It's going to happen. It's unstoppable. It's unstoppable. But I believe that in this tension that we've been talking about, this tension this between the sovereignty of God and the unstoppable will of God and your free will, you have the choice of whether you want to be a part or not. God has things, the church, the church, I love this, that Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 3. It says that God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in a rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So our, our job, guys, as the church is to put on display the wisdom, the love, the mercy of God for, on, to both heaven and earth. We put that display in heaven and on earth. We put that on display. And that's the mission of the church. Paul later in 2 Corinthians says it like this. He says, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And what he's saying in this moment, in the context, he's basically saying, now's the time. Now's the time. It's happening. So some of us, I think, in this room, and myself included, we find ourselves in these moments where we think, what God wants me to be a part of, that's later. It's not time yet. Or I'm waiting for that moment. I'm waiting for that moment where somebody's going to come to me and they're going to say, I'm ready for you. I need you in this role, and I need you to do this thing. And then you'll be like, I've arrived. This is it. It's my time. I've been recognized. I'm being asked to be the assistant youth pastor. It's my moment. And the problem with that, guys, is then one thing is it gets fixated just on ministry positions, which that is not what the church is, okay? If you're a part of the church, if you're a part of Jesus, that doesn't end with you being a pastor, that doesn't end with you being a worship leader. Some of us are, but the thing is, is that God has given each and every one of you unique gifts, unique talents, unique dreams. And you know what? Those dreams, if they're from the Lord, they will glorify his, himself, his kingdom. And it will be a part of that church's mission to put on display the wisdom and the love of God. And the thing is, guys, is sometimes we think it's later or sometimes we're afraid to engage right now. Because we think something 
you know, we're either scared or maybe we think we're too busy or we're not ready for that level of commitment yet or we think that we're not good enough or maybe we think that, oh, if I get engaged now, then um, I'm going to get trapped here forever. Because many of us in Midland and Odessa, I was one of you. I was born here. I was raised here. There's this permeating feeling that if I set down any form of roots in this place, I'm going to be trapped here in hell forever. (laughs) And the thing is, guys, that's so far from the truth. If you're in God's will now, how could you miss God's will later? But if you think that, oh, well, I'm going to miss God's will later and you're going to step out of his will now, you will miss his will later, okay? And that doesn't mean that you're done for and you're permanent and you're going to go to hell or anything like that. Get that stuff out of your head. It's always these, these you know, black and white switches on or off things. But what the, will happen is you will miss out on what God's story is right now. And I'm telling you, God has promises, not just for the church on the global level, but for the church here in Midland and Odessa. God has promises for this region. God has promises for this church. God has promises for you. And my encouragement to you is just say yes. Don't wait. Don't miss what God's doing. For whatever reason, whatever it is, just say yes. You will not regret it. And just like this man who if he had said yes and given his wealth, which probably sounded crazy to him, he would have been better for it. And so will you. And so I'm telling you, God's probably stirring in many of you different things. I don't know what the thing is that you're supposed to say yes to right now, but I promise you there's something in your life that you're supposed to say yes to. There always is because God's always doing something. And we as the church have a responsibility to be involved. We don't get to stay on the sidelines, guys. That's what, we're part of the church. The church, it's our job. No one else is gonna do it. Jesus already said, you go and make disciples. Some practical things, guys. Some practical things is, one, if you're in college, if you're in college, God has desires for Midland College, for UTPB, for Odessa College. He wants to see his kingdom invade that place, overtake it, rule it, and see people, students, lives changed, want to see faculty changed. He wants to do that. That's what ENC is. If you're in college and you have a passion, I mean, start praying. If you don't have a passion for the students around you, you need to check yourself. Because that's not what Jesus did with this man where he said he loved him. We have to love those around us. And so one practical thing, guys, is if you're in college, being at ENC doesn't mean that you're gonna, your life is over and you can't get to do anything else. It just means that you're going to engage your campus intentionally. You're going to say yes. An easy thing is we've got ENC conference coming up. ENC conference is a regional conference where all of the ENCs, the college outreaches that we have in our region, get together. They're going to meet in Austin. We're going to worship. We're going to engage. We're gonna be, it's going to be a blast. I've been several years. It's awesome. Say yes to that. If you don't know what to say yes to, say yes to that. No one's going to, you know, tie you down, chain you up, and make you go run, you know, raise support and ask people for money. No one's going to do that. But you're going to have your eyes fixed, just like in worship, where 
that shifted for me where I realized like something I knew in my head, but I didn't know in my heart that God put the breath in my lungs. It can change your perspective. If, if you're a young professional or if you're in college age and you're not on the campus, get involved in mid-cities. Or get, you know, if, and if you're one of the, the people that comes here and you're part of another church, serve that church too. Get involved. Be a part of the story. God's got big things. And have your eyes open to the people around you. Love the people around you. Impact the people around you because the, that's our job, guys. Let's be intentional. Let's live in that tension. And let's not be the people that say no to Jesus, but let's say yes. Can we pray? Lord Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you, you know that tension. You know that we are people and that more often than not, probably in our lives, we've said no, even unwittingly to you. And yet you never stop knocking at the door for us, Lord. You never stop inviting us. You never stop saying, come and follow me. Lord, let us be a people that have the courage to say yes and to say yes to whatever that means, Lord, whatever, whether it's giving away all of our possessions, whether that's a yes of meaning, I'm going to go and share my faith with that friend that I have at that coffee shop that I talk to, or whether that means signing up to be a greeter on Sunday mornings. But whatever that is, let us be a people that say yes. Lord, we know that you're doing big things, and those things will be done. Help us to be a people that are a part of that. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.